Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the What's Holding You Back January Writing Challenge edition of the 7am Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now this month, we're live talking about everything that might hold a writer back from producing the work they desperately want to write and how they might overcome the roadblocks that are rising up for them. So today we get to hear from three fabulous writers and friends of mine, Jessica Bird, Kathleen Flynn, and Andrea Meyer. Good morning, ladies. Thank you so much for being on the show. Good morning, Michelle. Morning. Good morning. Morning. Feel free in the chat, by the way, as we continue to talk, to... Um, Sure. If you have some similar issues to the people that uh, we're talking about their their issues, feel free to to echo that in the chat. You can also feel free to share some of your own um, ways that you've kind of gotten around those issues in the chat. Um, this is, you know, we're we're spitballing here and we're doing kind of a hive mind solution for everybody. Uh, so that can be helpful as well. All right. Jessica Bird was a finalist for the 2023 Edith Wharton Writers in Residence program. She's also currently at work remapping her manuscript, The Only Brother, a story of a man searching to discover why his older brother, presumed dead, survived his abduction when they were children but never returned to their family. It's a great book. Kathleen Flynn is a classical singer, educator at Berklee College of Music and Tufts University, and an alum of the Grub Street Novel Incubator Program. Kathleen, what's the name of your book again? Uh, in, <clears throat> excuse me, good morning. In the Mouth of the Wolf. Yes, that's right, which is my favorite title. And it's about an opera singer. So this is why it's concerning that Kathleen is losing her voice. Um, Andrea Meyer is an author of the novel Room for Love. And she's currently querying a novel called Manny, a literary romp about a Cambridge Manny and the women who throw his life into chaos. Okay, both, um, we're gonna do one, maybe two today. So let's see how we get to. And they're both, um, they were both sent in written. Um, you can still send me your, uh, your short descriptions of the writing problems that you're having. Uh, I can take them in audio recording or I can take them written out. I really love the audio recordings though because it's really fun to hear people's voices. Okay, so first, Janet is wondering about a difficult comment that an agent gave her. And I get this a lot, particularly from my students. They, they, they'll email me and they'll be like, can you jump on Zoom for a minute? Because they've gotten some crazy comment that has completely thrown them. So Janet says... I have been revising my novel for over a year now with lots of help from my immensely talented mentor and a trusted beta reader who's also an excellent writer. Just when I thought I'd made a breakthrough with the structure of the story, an agent had a look at my first 50 pages, which I thought were already quite clean and well revised, and still had issues with the strength of my writing. How do I proceed with the revision of the rest of the novel when this doubt has crept into my mind? What if I'm on the wrong track or revising the rest of the novel when the first revised 50 pages still aren't good enough for an agent? Okay, this is a big question. I mean, I can tell just so from the written out question, Janet, you can actually write a sentence, which some writers can't and need to work on that. But but. Jessica, what did you think when you read this? What what came up for you? I was thinking about how when we're all working on projects, there's this kind of 
like a bubble stage when we're just feeling like so excited about the work and we have trusted people, maybe just a few contacts that we work with. And then you get this outside voice and how deflating that can be, how awful it is to have just someone say, oh, no, this isn't working at all. And I guess it's tricky because it's an agent. So we're like, oh, I mean, that person represents authors and we want to catch that person's attention. At the same time, you know, this is one person out of however many, you know, there's there's only one person has given their opinion on this. So I absolutely understand feeling discouraged. And I think like, don't feel, you know, it, it's totally cool to be like, oh, this sucks. You know, I think like you can pause there for a minute and say like, this is not good. But um, consider also that there's going to be other reactions from other readers and that this is part of a larger journey of the novel. You've had a kind of onward and upward feeling going on. You've had like, my mentor likes it. My trusted friend likes it. Ah, someone didn't like it. So I absolutely see why that's been, you know, uh, uh, startling. And I think that it's good practice in a way because there's people who aren't going to like our novels. And in a weird way, we have to get used to that. But your book won't be for everybody. There's other agents who are going to be like, oh my God, like tell me more. So that was my initial thought coming across this. Yeah, I mean, she does have some beta readers that that are already helping her um, and and liking what she's doing. So there's some she can take some trust in that. Yes, um, I would say you know get more feedback from more people, not just one person that can throw you you know for a complete loop. And they can mm. they an eight a, a comment like this can throw you for a really long time. Um, from a teacher or an agent, you know, these sorts of people that seem to have power um, can be very, very difficult. Uh, Kathleen, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, sometimes you'll, you'll have, I mean, it, this is so subjective, what we're doing. Any artistic form is subjective. So, um, even when you are absolutely finished your structural revision and all of the other revisions you do, you will have differences of opinion. There's no question. Um, so you really have to listen to the voices that you trust and hopefully you'll be able to begin to trust your own voice and your own inner critic. Um, I, I, Michelle mentioned that I'm also a singer. I remember a performance I did when I was quite a young singer, but it was a pretty high, high profile performance and it was reviewed in a couple of big publications. And one publication was, oh, Kathleen Flynn, best thing since sliced bread. And I was so excited. I'm like, here we are. And then the next <laughs> publication that came out the next day was like, this singer does not know what she's doing. So same role, same day of performance, everything. Um, yeah. And I think for me, it was great to have those two because I could see, oh, okay. Mm. I mean, maybe they're both right. I kind of didn't know what I was doing, but also it was pretty good. <laughs> like it was both things. Um, and it was really valuable for me to see such an extreme difference of, of opinion about a very subjective performance. Um, so yeah, yeah. you write really, really well think of all of the writers you know right well and you do not want to write their read their books it, it's a question of 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 taste a lot of the time that being said yeah. there are a couple of other things that i think are interested interesting in janet's question and one thing janet talks about is um she's really working on on structure so at this particular point in your revision you're concentrating on a big structural rewrite 
um, it's not perhaps the time to think about the the, the language or the 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 style of your writing. Um, there are so many different stages of revision that we have to go through, and once you're finished your structural rewrite, you probably will have to go back and tidy things up, even the section that you thought was pretty tidy. That happens quite a bit, and as you write through your novel and get to the end of the novel, you change as a novelist, you develop as a novelist, and you might have different opinions on the style of your writing of those first 50 pages. Um, but perhaps another pass through revision, you'll tackle something like, um, what are the word, the weasel words, Michelle, you call that if, if yes. you, if you have a habitual pattern of words and we all do that you need to go through, perhaps your, your reader noticed that, or, um, or maybe you need to do something like the Ursula Le Guin chastity exercise, which is really looking at adjectives and adverbs and how you use them. So I think, Michelle, you have some, some great um, tips on, on, on how to look at style when you're ready to do that. Yes, yes, because I do think we should talk about that as well. Um, might she have a style problem? She might. We have no idea. Um, I'm going to assume that she doesn't because she just has this comment from one agent and she's got other people reading her work. Um, style is such a subjective issue. Um, and so I think she needs to know more. I think she get, needs to get other readers who don't know her, other new, fresh readers that that haven't met her work before and, and get kind of an idea about that. Andrea, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying. It's so hard to receive this kind of criticism. And I totally get how that can be paralyzing, um, especially from an agent, because they're the gatekeepers. We assume that they know more than we do. We assume they're right. Um, and I'll start by saying I got some brilliant um, advice from this wonderful writer, Michelle Hoover, one time when I was in the process of querying my incubator novel. Um, and I had gotten like three or four rejections and Michelle said, Hey, are they, when they give you notes, are they all saying the same thing? Or are they saying different things? And I said, all different things. And she's like, don't listen to them until everybody starts saying the same thing. In your case, there was an issue with style. Like, don't listen to it. It's just an opinion at that point. Um, and nevertheless, like we really take these things to heart. And I was remembering another experience where I received notes on Manny um, from my writing group. And there, it wasn't so much one thing that cut to the core. It was the fact that there were so many notes from so many people. There were 10 people in my writing group. <laughs> and I became completely paralyzed for like six months. It was, it was a nightmare. Um, so the way I got out of that, and this is more about structure, is coincidentally the book um, Save the Cat Writes a Novel was coming out by Jessica Brody. And so I decided to kind of test and see. I mean, I was getting, I should say, I was getting a lot of positive notes and some negative ones. And some for me were about structure. So I decided to test my structure and see how good it was. And I did... I did that book. I read it from start to finish and there's certain exercises you do and, and you're kind of building a structure that works. So I wanted to see if the spine of my story worked. And that was so helpful for me. It was just a moment where I took a step back and did something completely separate from my normal style of revision. And it, 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 it broke through this paralysis I was in. And I came out of the other end with a book that I knew um, was a lot better. And ultimately you know when your writing is good and you're the one that you should trust more. But I'm very happy for you. You also have some trusted readers. 
Yes, yes. Um, a few things. Um, okay, so again, that, that individual voice is always going to be very, very problematic. There's also a lot of agents in the business now who, I'm sorry to say, some of them are really young and some of them are not very good stylistically or even grammatically. Um, I, I know one of our published writers and she published with one of the big five and she was working with an, um, an editor actually at one of these houses and the editor uh, was trying to, normally you can get rid of the word that in a lot of your sentences. So if you say like, she thought that he was an idiot, you can say she thought he was an idiot because the word that is just kind of an ugly word. It sticks out. Um, it's oftentimes unnecessary, not always. Sometimes it is necessary and sometimes it's not. Um, it can be possibly one of those weasel words that uh, Kathleen was talking about. You know, we use the word just all the time. We use the word all, uh, all, all the time. We used, um, we use the word something too much. There's just certain words that occur to us that are kind of fillers that are oftentimes can be taken out. Um, if that's an issue for you, I, I recommend the, the best list of those sorts of weasel words um, I've seen is in Matthew Bell's Refuse to be Done. He has a whole big list of them and there's a lot. And when you start going through your manuscript, trying to get rid of those words, you will feel crazy and you will feel like you're a shit writer because you're like, why am I using all these words? Why is it? Because every all the bad stuff shows up. It's like putting a blue light on the wall of your house and finding things that you don't want to find <laughs> or in a hotel room. It's like, wow, I've been sleeping here. Or let's say it's a hotel. Let's say it's not your house because that's too gross. Um, but but it can be horrifying to, to see that stuff. But OK, so I'm going to assume that this agent doesn't know what she's talking about <laughs> um, and and. Only because, um, okay, and there's also a difference between, Janet talks about the strength of her writing, mm. and I keep taking that to write, to, to be mean writing style. Now, there could be different, strength of writing can mean different things. It can be, you could be having some grammar problems. I don't see that, though, Janet, in your question. Um, I'm not seeing grammar problems. And so um, if you have if you're having grammar problems, you do want to get out like a strunk, strunk and white grammar manual. Um, you really do want to face that because, you know, this is it, it's like it would be like uh, going to a job interview in your pajamas. You know, you really need to get that grammar down. Uh, but most writers, for the most part, are doing pretty well with their grammar. They're fine. Um, you can also get an editor to help you with your grammar if that's an issue. So again, Janet, I'm not saying you actually have this issue, but if if someone does. Um, and then the other issue is writing style, which is not grammar. It's actually some basic ideas about style that writers, um, you know, particularly writers in, I'm talking about writers in English, have kind of come to feel that they think are important to think about. So the, getting rid of these weasel words, for instance, um, cleaning up your sentences as much as possible so there's not a lot of extras, uh, getting rid of um, adverbs and adjectives and using stronger nouns and verbs instead. There's a lot of simple things um, and there's some <clears throat> other more advanced style things that you can think about um, as well. And that, 
and still they'll be subjective because we all have our own writing styles. And one of my favorite writers, Angela Carter, um, her prose is as purple as possible. Like if, if an editor were to, to attack that prose, she would no longer be Angela Carter. Um, and you know, she's, she, Angela Carter, Carter is retelling fairy tales for the most part, though she also did a number of wonderful novels and a short story based on Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, that kind of Gothic sensibility feeds her style and her style feeds it back. Um, so just one thing I wanted to remind, so a, a, a friend of mine, um, and she was kind of my student, not really, but an advisee of mine. Her name was Laura Prescott. Um, she's absolutely wonderful. And she published a book two years ago, I think. It, it was called We Were Never Here. And it's a novel um, based in part on the novel uh, or, or riffing off the novel Dr. Zhivago. Um, when she was finishing that book, I think she was in her MFA program. And her advisor in the MFA program, um, it was a guy, and he told her that, okay, you, your, your book is in pretty good shape structurally, but you really need to work on your writing style. And she was shocked. Um, now, I have read Lara's stuff. I've never seen a problem with her writing style, um, but she was really shocked with uh, this comment. And she didn't, she decided to kind of ignore him. <laughs> Um, which is great because she's rather, she's young. And so the ability to do that can be really hard. Uh, but she ignored him and she decided to try to sell the book anyway. And she sold it and she sold it for $2 million. So I haven't sold a book for $2 million. Andrea, have you sold a book for $2 million? <laughs> I have not sold a book for $2 million. Oh, yeah. I had fantasies of selling a book for $2 million. Didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I, I always tell myself that's going to cause its own problems because then you're going to get, you know, then everyone's going to hate you. Um, but we don't hate Laura because she's, she's fantastic. So you do want to be really careful of that. Um, if you do have style problems, um, or, or, or worried about your style, I highly, highly recommend Benjamin Dreyer's book called Dreyer's English, An Utterly Correct Guide to Clarity and Style. Um, and he nails all of it. Um, though he does seem to like, um, uh, uh, oh shoot, what is this? There's a particular form of, of punctuation that he really likes. Um, that I just can't stand. And so semicolon. I've done colon. Oh, yeah. I'm just guessing because I know Michelle has a against semicolon. Like semicolons. He's all over semicolons. I think I they like look I love the semicolon. I think they're fun. Love I have it. the unfortunate thing of doing the list of like the colon and then semicolon long phrases. I, now I, for me, I, I, I wouldn't that. I wouldn't put into a style manual, don't use a semicolon. I would not yeah. do that. Yes. Um, I just think for me, they see, they look so academic and maybe I just taught academic writing for too long. So I'm having to know what But uh, Benjamin Dreyer's Dreyer's English, I highly recommend for that. Um, Jessica, is it like, now you guys, I haven't seen problems like this with you. I mean, what sort of advice, like if you're worried about your writing style or worried about when you're at that editing phase, because Kathleen also talked about, you know, it depends what phase you're at. B.A. Shapiro, who's also a best-selling novelist, she um, she says she always worries about her sentences last. Now, I don't. I worry about my sentences all along just because I'm crazy and because it kind of, it also 
it feeds my fiction. It feeds what I'm doing. So they're actually really important for me stylistically. Um, but but it also depends on where you're at. So um, Jessica, have you have you sought out any style help or any anything? If if you've ever had worries about this, which you don't need to. But I think everyone, it's not it's not bad to learn more about this stuff. You know, I think that sometimes I can tell when I'm I look back at something later and think, oh God, I really like went into the things that the person in the background was doing. I'm like, oh, there's no need, you know, or I can look at something and when I'm coming back to a passage and saying, oh, this, I love this and it can go, you know. Um, but I would say maybe if you don't mind, if I take it back to structure for just a second, because Janet, I just wanted to congratulate you for making a breakthrough on a section. You said you felt like you had made a breakthrough on this structure. And so I guess I absolutely understand. Like, And so I think that like that kind of excitement is the thing that can launch us into working more, you know? And I, so I, I hope that in a way, even though you had this experience that you can kind of recapture that because I think as you go ahead, the style is not just, it's your style and it's also the style of this book. And this is something you'll need to figure out by continuing and pressing ahead in the book. So I think you'll you'll find a lot of the style of what is this main character like? What are these dynamics I'm working with? How, how are these arcs going to play out? And that's something that you'll be able to get as you, as you go on. So I think that Putting, not putting aside exactly style, but taking style as something you're going to continue to learn as, as you're working through the book um, because you've had this breakthrough and that's very cool and that can launch you forward. And then as you work through the book and you're becoming a better writer as you're doing it, you may at some point look back at this opening and saying, that was a breakthrough at that point and now it needs to change. You know what I mean? That's something that may happen down the road. But um, I think you're in a kind of moment of momentum and I, I would hate to see, I, I, I want you to embrace that if possible. Yeah, yeah. Kathleen, how about you? Yeah, I think um, definitely working on style is something that um, that I keep coming back to, even when I'm um, restructuring um, a, a section, which I'm doing right now in my um, draft. Um, and also, um, I'm not sure what genre Janet is working in. I'm historical fiction. One of the things that I'm struggling with is always is finding an appropriate um, level of historical language and not um, not be bogged down by some kind of fake, you know, 19th century um, language. Um, and, uh, and it's tricky um, to do that. So I, it's something that that on the sentence by sentence, sometimes I'm successful and another sentence is, is you know, as Michelle said, totally purple and uh, Angela Carter times a thousand and it needs to be trimmed. And Angela Carter times a thousand. Well, <laughs> I, I should be so lucky if I resembled Angela Carter, but um, I think that that sometimes too, what's interesting are things that I was really in love with um, a couple of months ago I can now look at from a distance and say, oh, okay, maybe maybe one or two things are uh, changeable here. So I think distance can be really helpful too. So I absolutely want to um, second Jessica's congratulations uh, on Janet's breakthrough and to keep riding that momentum, keep going, keep going, finish the structure. And then when that is done and when you feel really comfortable with um, that 
aspect of your draft, then maybe go back and look at different elements of your novel, then maybe go take a look at at language um, or or the strength of the writing um, from a from a place of distance. <laughs> um, and after you've completed this, um, this big task, which is huge, the structural uh, revision is massive, and it sounds like it's exciting. So ride that wave and then come back and look at um, other issues of writing later. Because distance is so important. You have to become unfamiliar to your manuscript in order to be able to see what is actually happening on the page, particularly in terms of style. So taking a break from it, not looking at it for a while. The sad thing is when you do look at it again, you might hate all of it. <laughs> that is very common. And you might wonder why you're writing like a kindergartner and you might think, oh my God, I'm never going to get published. Um, that is very common. So be prepared for that. And just know that means your critic is way up. He's ready for you. And you do need your critic to be up and loud and awake in order to make um, style edits if you want to do them. Andrea, how about you? Um, I find that I work on style like throughout, like I'm, I go, I will start my writing day, like tinkering with the sentences I wrote the day before. And I know people say not to do that, but I can't help myself. Um, and then when I go back, I just had an experience recently where someone wanted to see part of my incubator novel, which I hadn't looked at in years. And I immediately started seeing sentences and was like, oh my God, please, Lord, did I actually send this out? You know? Um, so I just tinker sort of at, at every point. Um, but I also like, Jessica kind of wanted to go back to the structural thing. I think there's something when you're feeling stuck, whether it's um, a bad comment or whatever um, that puts you there, um, maybe it could be helpful to look at, to ask yourself different kinds of questions, like just to almost to like bolster yourself and maybe have a conversation with your early readers, but start asking like, you know, in those first 50 pages that the agent read, um, How's the pacing? Um, you know, is there something that happens right up front that's especially exciting or intriguing um, or uh, that's something that will captivate the reader? Um, is my prose captivating to the reader right now? And just make it really about yourself and like coming back into your text and finding what you loved about it or going, you know what, she, that, that, you know, I hate that woman so much or man, I'm sorry, you didn't say if the, who the agent was, but you know, the person's an idiot clearly, but you know what? It's true that like, if I were to move this exciting event from page 20 to page one, maybe that person would have fallen in love with it. Like just start asking different questions that get fall, make you fall back in love with your book or make you intrigued again and want to get back into playing with it. Because I know that feeling so well of feeling paralyzed by whatever it is. And so something like that just, just might help you get back into it. And something else to think about, too. So even though I do highly recommend Dreyer's English, um, a lot of these ideas about style come from a rather English-centric, even America-centric, ethnocentric um, place and, and rather male place. So if you are writing from, if you're coming from another tradition or another country and you you say, well, this does, stuff doesn't make sense, this is this 
the people in, 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 in my country or the writers in my country love this sort of style. Why is this a problem here? You, you do want to really stick, stay true to the voice that you're from and, and just know that there is, there is some biases that might not be helpful to you in that way. Um, all right. Um, we had, I, I really wanted to hit on this second question. You think we can do this ladies about boredom? Okay. Sure. Kelly writes, and she gave me a whole bunch of questions at once, but one of the <laughs> questions I wanted to focus on was, she said, how can I punch up my writing so it's not boring? And she said, or am I doomed? The boring person equals boring writing. Yet I'm also a fun person, but boring writing. Or am I bored while writing? Should I just take a nap? <laughs> and this, and I was like, well, maybe I do advise naps always. Um, this writer also found it uh, difficult to keep just a basic, to stick to a writing routine. And she was also worried that she's more addicted to taking writing classes um, than actually writing. Um, so I think there's a combination of things here, but let's talk about boredom and being bored with your own writing. Jessica, what do you think? Have you ever been bored by your own writing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are times, what I'm doing right now is going through and remapping my novel. And there was a way that well, it's actually funny when you were talking about how there's points where we all like feel really sick of our writing because people will often say, oh, no one will ever love your book as much as you do. And I think, oh, God, like I hate my book right now. Yeah, and that I've had those moments. But um, <clears throat> in terms of it being boring, like I, I was going through and sort of saying like, oh, obviously I know chapter five and chapter 13 and whatever need major changes. But I'm like, oh, chapter one's fine. Chapter two's fine. And then I'm like, oh, no, they're not they're not fine. And not in a way of I hate it, but they feel fine, they're competent, but there's not an energy there. They yeah. need to be, there needs to be a kind of crackling energy at every yeah. scene in the book. So I was like, oh, this is fine, but yeah, how can I make it like come to life? How can I make it feel like these people are in their skin or real bodies, real people, that they're actually responding to each other? You know, so I think that there's a way that boredom can, in a way it goes back to Janet's thing of structure, but do you know what I mean? Like there's a way that boredom can be, things are fine, but what can you do to turn it up a little bit? What can you do to shake the ground your characters are standing on? What can you do to sort of say, oh, this is a dynamic where I have this character saying, sure, I'm happy to go with you. But in reality, would that character say that? Maybe they'd be like, I'm not going with you and you shouldn't go either. Like that changes things. So I think curiosity, looking for those opportunities. And when you say boring, it might be, are other people bored or are you bored? If you're bored, that definitely, something has to change. Yeah. Because you, yeah. you have to, to kind of like what's happening. Even on the days you hate it, you have to be like, oh, I hate this, but like this, this bit is kind of good. You know, so- I would advise looking at it that way. Yeah, Kathleen. Kathleen writes these big, the, her, this epic story that all this awesome, fun stuff is happening. Kathleen, I can't imagine being bored by your work, but maybe you have um, been. No, I, I do definitely. I think it's um, what sometimes I, I, I think is tricky is um, for for me is the the action stuff is comes more easily and um the crazy plot points but then actually uh weaving that into what the characters think about is the the, the struggle that i sometimes have and and sometimes i get a little bored by that I'm like oh, i don't care what she thinks this is really cool uh, so 
that's something that definitely um, is extremely important for the reader. So I'm, uh, that's something that I have to work at and not be bored by. So one thing that I actually did recently was, again, my book is historical fiction. Um, I, I, I wrote a ridiculous scene um, in which um, my 19th century opera singer um, got teleported to another planet. It was totally dumb and it absolutely made me giggle. And it was, you know, a completely different genre. It was a totally different language and writing, but my God, it was fun. And it really made me giggle. Um, and I'm never going to show it to anyone, <laughs> but it was, it was also, I learned more about my character. Oh, this is what she would do if she was encountered with this alien. How interesting. So it's absolutely foolish, but isn't what we do kind of foolish and kind of fun? I mean, it's, we are to entertain ourselves and others, why not? Um, so I think really um, making sure that you can find ways of remaining playful in, yeah. um, in the development of your craft and in the development of your, your artistry is, it has to be there. If we do not play, if there's not joy in it, um, we will be bored. Absolutely. So um, finding ways of, of playing is incredibly important. And, you know, let them break rules, let them do things. There's so many times I've seen writers, I've said this before, you know, that they say she thought about saying this or she thought about doing it. Just let them do it and see what happens. Head towards that chaos. Have yep. fun with that. Oh, my God. And I think so many writers are like, can I do that? Well, try it out. You know, that's with writing. You don't, you don't even you're not even wasting a canvas. You're not even wasting, you know. Uh, a block of stone you might be wasting time but I, there is no wasted time in writing because normally you have to go through those things um and so you know force your character into really uncomfortable uh situations make sure they are with people always if they are alone you're probably going to get bored because they're just going to be in their heads try to force them into a new location um uh you know, you, you yourselves what an alien planet. An alien planet, just like you did, or a different time period, or try out different narrative forms, you know, diaries, uh, newspaper accounts, uh, stuff like that, just to kind of mix it up for yourself. Now, Andrea's st stuff is always so hilarious. I can't even imagine you being embarrassed by your stuff. But again, I think it happens to everybody. I actually was going to say, I don't really get bored with it. I don't. <laughs> um, but I do get stuck. I do, I'm an excellent procrastinator. Um, I mean, I walk away for long periods of time. And so I think I, I agree with, with Kathleen a lot about just shaking things up and trying something different. I mean, take a nap, uh, go for a walk, um, write an essay, write, interview your, your characters again for the millionth time, um, to throw them into a situation that's crazy. I love the, the sending them to another planet thing. Um, I think all those, those are really good tricks to get you. I like to write about the book instead of writing the book when I can't write the book, just like, okay, there's this thing I've been wrestling with and just like, go for it, just write about it and just spin all the possibilities. Like maybe he does this, maybe he does that, you know, maybe this happens, um, you know, find, find the magic again, get you excited to go back to it if you're stuck for some reason. Um, and that's the kind of stuff I do, although I'm not doing it right now, I'm just not writing. So I don't know like how good, um, a teacher I can be at this point. Um, but I'm loving all these tips from the rest of you.
Um, and Aaron Hamburger talks about the same thing, writing about the story, if you can't get into the story. And then he says, um, generally when I'm doing that, something that I'm writing about the writing of like, oh, that's kind of interesting scene. And he'll let himself go into it and he finds it there. Also paying attention to what other stories in the universe don't bore you. So what books are not boring you? What, um, you know, TV, film, what in your everyday life doesn't bore you? What gets you excited? What gets your blood cooking? Write about that. Pay attention to the world around you and, and get those signals from the world around you and the other reading that you do. Um, and that can help as well. We are getting a lot of questions about procrastination, um, uh, you know, just getting yourself sitting down at the desk. We've talked a lot about that in like the first two episodes, but I think I'm going to try to do something longer about that in the different forms of motivation with different personalities. So look forward to that. Otherwise, I'm we're going to have to let you go because people actually have to write, right? Yes, that's the whole point. Okay, everyone, you can find our full schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Subscribe there for updates. You can also find our full range of podcast episodes on that page including episodes from our past two writing challenges, as well as on any of your favorite podcast platforms. We were everywhere. We're famous. Um, not really, but sort of. Um, we could be. We could be famous if you rate our show and share it with others and other people can find out about it too. Okay. Ladies, any final words about breaking through your writing obstacles that you want to leave our listeners with? Jessica, what do you think? Um. I think sometimes I'm Philip Gerard from that architecture of light essay. And he talks about like, maybe it's not realistic. Like not everyone can write every day. Family comes up, major life events happen, but maybe every day you can kind of poke your head into the universe of the story just to kind of taste the quality of the air and see the light there. And this, this sort of beautiful way of just like having a presence and kind of a moment with your story every day helps me so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kathleen. That's so beautiful, Jessica. I love that. Um, I say be playful. Don't forget to play. Play in that sandbox. Have fun. Yes. Love it. We recently got a litter box to try to get one of our feral cats to use a litter box, and he's currently sleeping in it. So that's a thing. Um, Andrea. Um, I also kind of want to find ways to fall back in love with it. And I would say just dip in where you can and read. I love this in the novel incubator. You had us do this exercise and I often go back to it um, where when I read something I love or that's inspirational, I will type out um, the quote or the page or whatever, just to feel what it's like to be in that writer's brain, that writer mm -hmm. who's wowing me and dazzling me right now. Um and so maybe I'm not working on my own writing, but I'm feeling it in my fingers, what it feels like to have a great idea or write a great sentence. And, and I put it in a file that's called inspiration and it does inspire me. Absolutely. Yeah. Not only read writers that you're impressed by, right? So, so that you're constantly learning and you're constantly feeding yourself with that, but transcribe them just the way that Andrea was talking about so that you feel those rhythms, so that you learn from those voices. And hopefully that can also get you excited and also get you over that boredom problem as well. All right, everyone, thank you all for joining us. This was fantastic. And I don't think we had a boring moment at all. Um, I hope everyone is able to get back to their writing desk and have a fabulous writing day.